Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. Mandela, such a good name, too. Great name. But you don't think Gandhi was a good name? It doesn't flow. I mean, melodically, Gandhi. Mandela. Gandhi. Mandela. Gandhi. I can say the same. I can do it with the same inflection that you're doing it. I think it's the two syllable versus the three syllable thing is what really what's at play here. Three syllables has a has a lyrical flow to it, whereas two syllables feels like a brick wall. Gandhi sounds powerful. It stops. Gandhi. Mm, You want to go? You want one more? You want to go one more? (laughs) This feels like. This feels like an argument from uh, like radio days. Like the Atlantic Ocean was a better ocean. No, the Pacific <laughs> is a better. What are you crazy? <sighs> Gandhi, Gandhi Mandela. The name is richer. No, Gandhi is a better name. It's strong. It's it's complete. But Mandela flows like Gandhi a river. didn't need a third syllable. Yes, yes. He... <laughs> okay, so I was thinking of something today. Um, the the topic of today's podcast is resolutions good or bad, but we'll get to that in a minute. But I had another, I was thinking about language today, as I am often uh, want to do, think about language. And I and I was looking at something, it was on this idea of the, the racist movies roles. Um, and I, I looked at something and I thought, oh my God, that's crap. But instead of saying, that's what I thought, the thought in my head was, oh, that's crap. Mm-hmm. But what came out when I, I was speaking aloud to myself, as I often do, because I'm alone during this whole pandemic. And so I like to talk to at least three parts of myself speak. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not pathologizing me. That's just accurately reflecting my experience. Mm-hmm. So, so what came out of my mouth instead of that's crap is, oh, that's crappity crap. Crappity crap. That is crappity crap. Yeah. Is that a phrase that you are uh, familiar with? Crappity crap? I'm sure I've heard something similar to that at some point. Crap. Yeah. I, I'm crappity, not exactly crappity, sure crappity, where crap, I got crap that. Pants. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I say things like that all the time. I just I, and I thought to myself, that's funny. I like that. I like those two words, crappity, cr- crappity being one word and crap being the second word. Crappity crap. I thought that was very funny. It made me laugh. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're entertaining yourself. Again, in these times of pandemic, when you live alone, if you don't entertain yourself, you die. It's just that that's just that simple. Yes. Yes. I agree. It's an either or proposition. I agree. Uh. Okay. Resolute is a resolute. I want to. I want to ask you about what you think of when you think of resolutions. How how do you how do you uh, as of a New Year's resolution? mm -hmm. Um. Okay. That's the second question. Well, it's my first. It's my first question. Right. But in the order of succession, that follows from the question I'm going to ask you now. And the question I'm going to ask you now has to be first, King. I did actually. Oh, uh-huh. Actually, you did too. By the way, oh, okay. we both did. Oh, so oh, okay. there's that. All right. But my question has to come first, and we ha- this is a question that has to exist outside of any contextual understanding of it. It has to be just a yes or no response. Mm-hmm. And even though everything you and I both believe in is contextual, we have to, in this moment, put that in a shelf, as I would say in a therapeutic context. Just put it in a, in a drawer, and we'll come back to it. You put it right in now, a shelf. Just, put it in a no, shelf. in a drawer. No, on a shelf. On a shelf. Okay. But I prefer in a drawer because if it's on a shelf, you can still see it. And for the purposes of the question, I don't want you to see it. I want it to be in a drawer so right. you can't actually see it. Okay, it's, it's, it's in a drawer. Okay. Do you think that New Year's resolutions are good or bad? I know what you want, how you want me to answer this, but I just, I cannot answer a question like that. There are, there are 
there are th- questions that I could answer knee jerk like that, and I this is not one of them. So you can't even you can't even play within the construction of the game. You won't even play within the construction of the question, just for the sake of the of the the simplicity of a response that will lead into a deeper, more contextually based. How, how do you know lead into a deep? I could say I don't believe they are good or bad, and it could still lead into a deeper conversation. So you don't believe they are good. Unless you ask me a question that is not binary, maybe that would lead into a deeper conversation. But the whole point of a stepping outside of context is the binary question. That's the whole point of the question: is that it's binary? Is that you only have one or two, one of two answers? I don't. Is it a I good thing? I don't. Or a bad thing? I. You know, I mean. I, I, I want to borrow a page from Reinhold Niebuhr and say, well, they're good in the hands of good people and bad in the hands of bad people. Um, <laughs> so I now I know what it, now I know what it's like to have known me for the last 13 years. <laughs> because I've been asked these kinds of questions by multiple friends and acquaintances and women I've dated and strangers, this kind of question. And I will always respond, well, I can't really answer that question without the context. It's just, there's no, there's no right answer to that question. There's no meaningful answer. So now I appreciate how hard it is to know me. Um, and you're, let me just say this. Fuck, <laughs> fuck you. Fuckity fuck you. You're welcome. Fuckity fuck. You're welcome. I think New Year's right. resolutions, <clears throat> I think New Year's resolutions uh, often frustrate people and and um, because I think they are often not kept. And, okay. Okay. And, wait, wait. Let me, let, me, let me just stop you right there, my friend. All right. Stop. Um, I will give you an answer to the good or bad question, and then I will give you an explanation for why I think they are good or bad in a generalized sense, obviously outside of context. Right, I'm going to play your game. Good. They're good. Okay. I'm going to say bad, and I'll tell you why. What, do, you have a, do you have a reason why they're good? Just a simple reason for the playing my game answer? For the playing your game answer? Yeah. What's the reason they're good? Simply. Yeah, they, 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 they. Um, I think they can be inspiring. They can, um, motiv- they can be motivational. Okay, that's fair. And now I'll tell you why I think they're bad okay. in that same in that same game. To me, they feel much like birthdays. Birthdays are the one day of the year where you're supposed to be celebrated for being you. Okay, and and and, and often you're celebrating that day and then forgotten the rest of the time. It feels to me like a New Year's resolution is also like an artificial setup for failure, an artificial setup for an idea to try and improve your life when that should be a process, a healthy process. that's just continuing. And to separate out these separate days, I think often leads to what you were describing before, which is, I mean, if you look at the statistics on this, the polling on this, which who knows if what the fuck is true and then what's not, but the polling suggests that 80 to 90% of New Year's resolutions are given up on within two weeks of being made. That's a pretty high number. It's a very high number. You're, what you're not pointing to are the 10 to 15% of people who actually follow through on them as opposed uh, sound, to sounding, speaking like a true narrative therapist, you know, the, 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 I mean, you wanted me to play your game. I, I think in that respect, of course it's artificial. It's a construct. Everything's a fucking yeah. construct. So yeah. So, so I, if that's what begins the process though, it, that is something that can begin a, a healthy process of change. Um, but we just choose to call a New Year's resolution. I think it's, right. you know, I think it's totally artificial. I, and and obviously, but, you know, there's a great a rate of of failure. But right. But I will say it's 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 only can only be helpful if you have in place the kind of support and meaning that that gives that gives nurturing to the idea. So so in in and of itself, out of context and out of a meaningful experience, 
it more often than not becomes becomes something people don't live up to or quit on and then feel worse about themselves. So you just asked me to to answer a question out of context to I which did. the answer yes is bad because out of context it's meaningless. It's all a game, my friend. In the game. <clears throat> You're in the game now. Yeah. There's no getting out of the game. I I've, I've been I rewatched The Wire this week by oh the way. Oh my god, that is just so good. It's a terrific show, and and the a phrase in the game begin to describe it. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the great, the true great shows of television history. But the phrase "in the game," which is what I just used, is all over that thing. You know, in the game, yeah. the drug game, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the streets, the game on the streets, yeah, the game. But uh, it's such a good phrase the way it's used then, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my favorite, my favorite actor in that show is I think his name is is it Michael Kenneth Williams? Is that the guy's name? The guy who plays Omar. Oh, the guy he, Omar. he was, he was so good, and I, 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 I sure hope he's gotten other great parts i'm sure he has oh I, my god the guy, do you, you don't know what that guy's done do, do you ever see boardwalk empire oh yeah he was on boardwalk empire right and was he's he, in some was he, show was he now. good in boardwalk empire he's always good he's a he's a great actor he's one of those actors you can call him a character actor if you want i mean you call him a leading man but he's one of those actors in my opinion that he's just always interesting like he's almost never not interesting. Well, watchable, he's watchable. omar but that character also i mean that 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 character is one of the great characters in television history i would argue just an incredibly uh textured layered character great character yeah um, well and it's interesting too he's also gay which is it's a very unusual part of what makes um, him textured and layered yeah well, i'm saying as an african-american character in inner city context you almost never see that yeah i mean i'm not i'm not sure you ever see that up to that point i don't think you've it was ever done yeah it's fascinating. Well, I, I mean, also operating in in, <clears throat> in a world uh, that is just rife with machismo and you know all kinds of gen masculine you know yeah stereotypes and hegemony and toxicity. You just so. walked that line so amazingly, no, it was playing amazing. both sides of that character, all sides and multi sides, the many sides. Yeah. Anyway, so it's just in the game. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, back to the resolution thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know where we are now, but I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up a point. I read something interesting. I was doing some research on this. And so I was looking for wh what people say, what experts, so-called experts say about resolutions. Right. Yeah. So you find a lot of people, a lot of experts talking about the, the, the pieces that make resolutions work or not work, right? Mm -hmm. The elements that you have to put in play and the reasons, and then the reasons why they don't. Difficulty breaking old habits is often stated. But I mean, that's a simplistic phrase. That habits, people think of a habit as something, a simple thing. This is what I do. I've always done it. No big deal. But there's so much, so many contexts, so many, it's multifaceted a habit, you know? Why, why it's meaningful, where you took it up, with whom you took it up, how you continue. It's like so many facets to it. It's not like this one thing. You're like, oh, just stop doing this and it's, and uh, I'm okay. It's more complicated. But the thing I found most interesting was some, most of the literature talks about, you know, focus, and this I think we've heard a lot, those of us who listen to these things, you know, focus on specific outcomes. Like, don't say I want to lose weight. Say I want to lose 10 pounds in 30 days, right? All this notion of specific outcomes. You you you've heard that, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's very popular now in, in not just in New Year's resolutions, but just in the whole idea of, of changing habits, breaking old habits, right? But then I read a bunch of stuff on the exact opposite side of that idea that said when you're specific about those things, you're much more likely to not meet them and fail and again feel worse 
than if you had just said, I want to lose some weight, and then you had lost some weight without a specific idea. That sounds what are, what are your thoughts on that? Sounds ridiculous. You're, so you, you're, you're lacking, I think you're, well, I think you're I think you're lacking information in, in camp B. Well, yes, if I say I want to lose a hundred pounds in six months, that's very specific. And absolutely, of course I'm gonna fail. If I say I want to lose five pounds in you know, two months, it's very specific and much better chance of failing. You can't just say specificity just ipso facto out, again, outside of some more specific context. Um, I don't see how specificity in and of itself is the thing. Well, but that's part of the problem, right? Because people, this is a question of, do people really know themselves well enough? It's a, it reminds me of a question I used to ask in therapy sessions with clients when you would say that you would say, give someone an idea of like, this might be helpful to you. But then a lot of therapists would just say, this is something you might try. This would be helpful to you. But I always ask, like, the next question after that would be, is this something that fe- that's accessible to you? Like, do you think you can do this? Are you interested in doing this? Are you going to try this? Something you're willing to try versus simply like, this is something that would be helpful. You should do this. Because that without that second piece, right? Because mm-hmm. people will often just say in response to that, yeah, that sounds good. And then you just make an assumption, whether you're a therapist or just with your friends or your partner even, you just assume like they're going to do it. Because they said it sounded good, yeah. you didn't. But they're too afraid to tell you that I, I'm not comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I will. I'll often ask, "Do you think that this that it would be valuable to experiment with this?" And I might follow up with it with, "What might get in the way of that? What might right. what might That's stop you from doing that?" So what do you right. so what do you want to do if that happens? What what might what might stop the thing that's going to stop you from stopping you? Right. I mean, that's really, I think that's really important because I don't think that's what people think about automatically. Like they're not, we're not taught to think that way. And so to be able to sort of make plans for that, Mm -hmm. which is really helpful in advance to make plans. Like when you get into a tough situation, what are your strategies in that moment? If you don't think about that in advance, you're kind of just screwed often because most people can't think on their feet when they're vulnerable and feeling inadequate or, or worthless or, or bad about themselves in a moment where they're not living up to something. Yeah. You know, I, I would say again, I mean, just playing your game that um, mm. there is something ritualistic about it. I think it is, I think it's, it's silly to say that most people, whether they want to or not, don't have some sense of resetting at the end of the year. Like this is a reset that the year is over. Right. I right. mean, there's a calendar. We mark it. Right. That's how we measure time. That's how we measure time. This is the end of this year. People feel like I get to start over if I want mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And so in that respect, I, I think it's a very natural uh, inclination for people to set resolutions. Whether you call it a resolution or not, I think that um, uh, it's it's a natural inclination. And so I think, yes, it's it's... Again, playing your game, I think they're good, you know. Okay, so let's go beyond the good or bad part and get into the specifics and the context of what makes a resolution good and what makes a resolution helpful and what makes a resolution something attainable versus not. You've just blown completely past, you know, my my question, which you relegated. What was your question? Did you have a question? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, how do you how do you define a resolution? Well, I don't think that's a particularly complicated question. Oh, I would say, okay, so is it just a goal? Is that it? 
It's yeah, I think a resolution. I would I would define it by something I would like to change about myself, whether it's something I feel internally about who I am or something I do in the world. Uh, it's something I want to change. Uh, okay, thank you. You're welcome. I don't think you needed to to uh, you know belittle the 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 question by saying, well, tut tut. It's not very. It's not very complicated because I asked someone this the other day and they said, it's a goal. And I said, and I said the same thing that you did is I said, well, I tend to think of it as I, t- I tend to think of a resolution as something that I want to be different or that I want yeah. to change, but is a goal necessarily something that you want to change about yourself or something that you want to be different? Right. And this, my friend, is the problem with generic language in, in in general, is that everybody has comes to it with different experience and biases. So I think whatever, whatever res, however one wants to define a resolution, and in a way that helps them with the idea of a resolution, is a healthy way to define it. I don't think there is one definition, and I think we there's almost never one definition. And when we try and hold everyone to one definition, people have struggle that's not well so for example i was asked do i do i have any resolutions and i said i don't i don't really make resolutions i have some goals i I I don't either i have some goals for this year and and the question that that came back to me was well how is that different isn't a resolution a goal and i my again i'm speaking sort of broadly i mean i think all resolutions are goals but i don't think all goals are resolutions yeah again this is a this is a like on some level this is a language argument because resolution has some kind of it feels like you have some sort of resistance to that term as a meaningful term but to me i'll give you my resistance to that term if, maybe you don't but i mean that's why i felt from but I'll, I'll give my resistance to that term is it locates the re, the goal or the hope or the change idea in a specific end of your context that in my experience suggests something not that something that's not going to work or something that's going to be given up on that's what a resolution feels to me like almost like a false promise because it's made again in this hyper you know specific context around all this pressure so in your urban dictionary resolution is a promise that is made to oneself which is doomed to fail generally i would say yes Mm. That's why I don't like the one time I don't like. I mean, I understand we all live in this time structure and I do, too. By the way, I'm not saying I live outside. It is the end of the year and it's a time to take stock, theoretically, which we do and look forward and look back and all that stuff. And, yeah, that's inevitable because it's the way we live. But the idea of making a resolution in those moments feels feels like, you know, hyper reality to me. It's 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 too much. It's it's too much pressure on it in some ways. And it also feels very specific to a time. And then the time ends as opposed to this is, I like the word promise. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, as opposed to the word goal, I've been reading a lot. There's some business gurus I've been reading that talk about goals can be very unhelpful as well, because they also set up this kind of either or proposition that feels like that the goal is very specific. And if you don't attain it for lots of reasons that may not have to do with your effort or things that are meaningful to you, but then you feel bad. And so I like this idea. I'm going to make a promise to myself about something. This is what I want to promise myself. And I want it, I don't want it to be too specific, like by January 1st, because that's not the way I work. Some people may work that way and that's great for them, but that's the whole resolution and, 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 and goal thing to me feels, feels specific in a way that's not helpful. It feels it feels judgmental. It feels 
burdensome to me. Mm-hmm. That's how I hear those words. So you would, and again, you, we, you and I both know, wait, let me just finish this thought. You and I both know that language comes with meaning depending on the context that we take it up. So that's for me, the context language, Go ahead. which creates meaning. Right. Um, so you would rather break a promise to yourself than not, than not achieve, than not achieve a, a goal. goal. No, but see, the, the idea is not to set that promise in such a specific context. I want to give myself some space to be human. That's what I, that's what I would say is the problem with goals and resolutions is they're, they're artificial in a way that feels rigid and not human. Your goal, now, for some, your goal could be, my goal this year is to give myself some space to be human. It could be. But again, that is, this is why it's very, it's very specific to the context bias experience of, of each individual who makes that goal or that promise or that resolution. That's why the universal aspect of these things are, are not particularly helpful. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think a question that is probably not asked when people make resolutions or they don't, maybe, I don't know who's going to do the asking themselves or someone Mm -hmm. who's close to them, but which is, you know, why is that important to you? Well, that, that was actually the third point of this uh, problems with purpose idea. I mean, this is what people struggle with is they don't make that connection. This is a big part of the literature also, by the way, is they is the they don't make the connection with why it matters. You know, why what what's meaningful about that? What what makes you feel seen or valued or heard in some way mm-hmm. when you're making that shift? And when you make that connection, it's a much you have a much greater opportunity, I think, of of fulfilling your goal, promise, or resolution than if you don't. You know, do you know what uh, uh, 90% of the time when I ask someone that question, what is the first thing that gets said back to me? What? Well, go ahead. You ask me and I'll, I'll do it. No, you ask me. I'll, I'll guess. You, okay. let, me, let me guess. Okay. Go. You ask okay. Why is that important to you? I don't know. Uh, that's not a bad guess. Okay. Now you ask me. Why is that important to you? Why is that important to me? Yes. <laughs> that's they, the, they repeat it back. Yeah, that's a delaying yeah, tactic. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. It's a delaying that's the same tactic. answer I gave. That that is that is exactly <laughs> like saying I don't know. That's that's we gave the same answer. I almost don't always you agree? I almost, yes. I almost always get that question. Why what, what 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 why is that important to me? Yeah, why is that important to you? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's the delaying answer of I don't know. So I, but I, but I think I'm supposed to know. Right. This is the deeper part. Yeah. I think yeah, I'm that, supposed right. to the know. subject is they're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, that, right. that seems like a good and question. It, <laughs> Maybe there's something I should know. Especially in a therapist's office, the pressure someone has to answer that question, which culturally we all know is the sort of essential question of therapy. Why? You know, like, why does it matter? What's the, why are you here? What are you doing? What do you want? You know, all of that relates. It's the toughest question because we're not taught to think that way. We're not taught to connect with our deeper values, our purposes, our, the things that we hold dearly, we hold deeply. We're, we don't, we don't think about our, our actions. I always like this phrase that I heard years ago that I use all the time. Like everything we do is in support of some value that we hold. I everything I say that all the time. Right. It's everything we do, but we're not taught to think about the little things we do connecting with a value. People will say often, I do it just because I do it. It's just what I do. Well, and I think, 
So I often ask that question. Uh, someone will say, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, what, what, what are the things that you value? Uh, honesty, hard work, right. trust, <clears throat> whatever, friendship, just name them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I'll say something like, so of the values that you named for me, which of the values of those values, which is being supported by you uh, cheating on your girlfriend? Right. Exactly. Like none. So, you know, which tends to really pull people up mm-hmm. where they stand. Now, the, a, a good question is like, well, is it supporting a value that you have not yet identified or is it not supporting any values? Right. Um, because you said everything we do supports some value and I don't yeah, know, but I, I will say there are, value, but let me tell you why I think that. And let me tell you what that, what in respond to what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, people, when they, you ask people what they value, they only, only always only answer with their positive values. Mm-hmm. Right. People have other values. They don't acknowledge. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Like for instance, I, when I'm stressed, I want sex. So somebody who's cheating on his wife could feel a lot of anxiety at home and just wants to have sex. So that value of wanting to have sex dominates the value of loving my wife or being thoughtful to my wife or whatever the the value is, right? They just haven't identified the negative uh, action as a value. Yeah. Because people don't think of values in a negative context. That's always seen as a positive idea, right? Yes. I, I, I like what you're saying a lot. I'm, as you're saying, I'm trying to think of different contexts um, in which that might be applied. When does anybody, when you ask the question, what do you value, say, oh, I value lying to my wife. I value screwing over my friends. I value, but those are those actions you take, or I value hiding parts of myself. Almost everybody hides a part of themselves. That is a value they hold. They don't see it as a value because they don't like it about themselves. Not everybody hides. Uh, no, I said I said uh, almost everybody. Those people are arrested. <laughs> I think almost every human being hides a part of themselves. And people who are who are doing things that they can't admit openly that they're hiding intentionally, that is a value they hold. They just won't acknowledge it's a value. Yeah, they but hold I, I, by, because yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. You can interrupt. No, no, go, go, go ahead. Sorry. I know. I'm just saying that they, they don't acknowledge it as a value because they haven't been, they've been taught that values are positive things, are things that are meaningful. And sometimes things that are meaningful to people are, are negative things. They just don't, because they're coping mechanisms, they don't see it as a value, but I would argue it's still a value. Mm-hmm. And then when you get them to see that as a value, then they can make a choice. I mean, that's the thing, right? We well, can say like, well, this value around lying seems to be more important to you than the value around being honest and being you know, faithful in your marriage. Is that something, do you see that? Are you interested in having it? What are you looking at? You had a weird look in your eye right now. I know we're on an audio program, but you had this weird devilish look in your eye. I got nervous. Oh, I got a pop-up message that I needed to no. Anyway, so do you know what I mean? Like, I think the, the problem is around this idea of what a value is. That's why I say everything we do is in support of some value that we hold. But some of those values, we don't call them values because they, they make us look bad. They make us feel bad about ourselves. We want to hide that part of ourselves. Yeah, that's what that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. So part of it, in terms of talking about it, is we have to we have to come to some understanding of what these words mean and what our I mean, this is what you do as a therapist, highlighting sort of for people these actions that they may not have have connected. Right, you're you're getting them to look at it in a way that says, "Oh, 
I didn't realize that was something else besides simply me just lying or pretending. This is this is more important on some level. This is deeper, for lack of a better way to put it. But that's not part of our regular learning process. We don't learn that from our parents in regular interactions. We don't learn that from our friends. Right. So tying that back into this idea of resolutions, um, <clears throat> I think that the, the thing that tends to be missing for people is um, the values. What, what's the value? Yeah. What's the value behind it? Or, you know, what, why does it matter to you? Right. Because, then, because and, then, and then they focus, tend to focus on that, which I think is, is what, you know, what we've been saying is that yeah. the reason that these so often fail is because what they're focusing on is the goal, not right. why the goal matters. Um, right. And so I, I think that these things can exist in the same universe and you can have goals and resolutions that you keep. I think that, um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with making a goal or a resolution no, or, or a resolution. Um, I, I, I do wish I don't that, that either more people paid more attention to the why it matters part as opposed to the goal part. Right. And I think that's why this, the numbers suggest that 80 to 90% fail because that for that specific reason, I would suggest. Yeah. And because the values, the values and then the community, these are again in this individualistic society in which we live. You know this notion that we can do everything by ourselves without support and without you know connection. I think is just a lie, and I think that's the other reason. That's the other half of this puzzle of why these resolutions tend to be negative and fail is because we individualize them instead of socialize them. Socializing our resolutions, bringing in the people we care about to to invest in us as we invest in ourselves and doing this together as a, as a community project, as opposed to an individual project. You know, I was trained and you probably too, this idea that identity, who we are is a relational achievement, not an individual achievement. That was one of the things we talked about in my narrative therapy training a lot. You know, this idea of who I am is not just about me by myself because I don't, I don't live in a world with me by myself. I live in a relational world with friends and family and, and, and work colleagues and everybody else. Yeah. It's who you, who your identity is shaped in relationship and created in relationship. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, but so, so with that being just a truth, one could argue a reality, then resolutions also need to be shaped and nurtured and created in community, in relationship. They have a much greater chance of, you know, being attained if you, connect with why they matter and you connect with a community of support in making those changes as opposed to by yourself. Yeah. That's also very hard for some people who have very hard, almost no community of support. Well, and also in a society that teaches us that we're supposed to do these things, be able to do these things on our own. That's, that's a value that is very dominant mm -hmm. that you, especially men, but women too, but especially men are taught that you're supposed to do these things on your own. And there is, there is such value and success in doing it on your own, as opposed to doing it in a community way or in a relational way. And the, I, I just think that value is, is it runs contrary to the, to the, the probability of success, mm -hmm. you know, not helpful. Yeah. That, that, um, kind of ties into what makes me insane this week. 
Yes. I can what is it that makes you insane this week? Well, I, I want to say hypocrisy, but specifically, the specific hypocrisy of um, mostly, maybe if not entirely, Republicans who, um, you know, refer to our government as a nanny state, who yeah. uh, are opposed to socialism, and yeah. all of these motherfuckers who are taking handouts, the the, yeah. the COVID, uh, you know, handouts, right. and, and in some cases, millions of dollars, all of these mm-hmm. people who are saying, do it on your own, you know, get over the nanny state, and like, oh, oh, you want to give me money? Thank you very much. I'll take that. Right. But but don't take don't give everybody two thousand dollars, only give them six hundred dollars because fourteen hundred dollars extra is too much. But I'll take the three million dollar loan because I can get it exactly and the government give it to me. But that's not welfare or that's right. not a nanny state. I deserve it. Right. Because I'm great. And those people who are making $35,000 a year as a waiter and can't get a job anymore because there's no restaurants open, they don't deserve it. What did they ever do to make a big company or do something meaningful? Right. They don't have value. Right. Figure it out. Yeah, fuck those. Yeah, that, that's making me insane this week. What's making you insane well, this week? That's good. You know, it's funny. I had, a, I had a much like less big, huge kind of typical thing. Um, I, I had an experience. You know, I've been living in Airbnbs for the last year. I've been trying out different neighborhoods. And... Um, and so I was in this one for two nights recently because I was in between these long-term stays and I was just a two-night break. And so when I left the Airbnb, the two-night one, it said in the – there's always checkout instructions. People have you do it differently. It said simply text us to let us know you've left the, the apartment so we can clean it for the new people. So I left at 10.10 in the morning. I texted – there was it was a husband and wife, and the husband is the only person I had met. So I texted his number at 10.10 that I was leaving. And I heard no response. I waited about 30 minutes. I got no response. So I thought, oh, maybe he didn't get it or maybe I should text his wife. So I so I texted his wife about 30 minutes later and said, hey, I just texted your husband 30 minutes earlier. And I don't know if he got the message, but I just want to let you guys know so you could move on. Then I was left. I heard back from neither of them. And then six hours later, they had left me a review on Airbnb saying I was a great guest and all this you know stuff. And I'm like, you know what drives me crazy? When people don't respond. Yeah. To queries, especially when they ask you to, you know, for something, this it's very common in the texting age that we live that people just get your message and don't respond. Yeah, that's just that's what God created emojis. There's a thumbs up. Right. Anything, right? Some acknowledgement yeah. that they got the message because without that, you're still left hanging, wondering, did they get my message? Mm, yes. Um, and this is such a universal thing. It's it it happens all the time, and it feels like one of these things that was just lost in the move in, in the modern world. It's just one of these kind of respectful these practices of, of kindness and decency that have just gotten thrown away. This is true. I've heard this so often from, and I have my own experiences looking for a job, right? When you send in a resume, you spend hours working on this great letter to try and tell them why you're right for the job and you get no response at all. And the, and the, and the, and the and the the line on that is well we get so many we can't respond to everyone well I think that's a load of crap it's not complicated to push a you know have at least a form letter and just push one reply button that takes no effort even if it's a thousand times it's not that complicated yeah so anyway, even, if it's, yeah, even if it's a form letter a template right you just anything yeah. is better than nothing yeah 
anything. I've heard this from so many people, and I'm sure your wife, when she was looking for a job, had this experience as well. People just don't respond to you. My daughter has been telling me recently about some people, some experiences she's had where people will tell you, oh, we're going to respond, and then you hear nothing. And I just think it's just rude. It's like, and this is part of the culture in general. We've just forgotten. We've gotten away from this idea that the people we interact with are people. Yeah. They're human. And it's just, it's a human need to just be acknowledged. Yep. You, not praise necessarily, just acknowledge like, Hey, I got your thing. Thank you. We're, you know, you're not right. Or just, you know, whatever fucking form letter you want to send me, but send me something that just allows me to move on and doesn't make me think that I still have a chance at something. Mm-hmm. It's soul crushing for people. Devastating. And happens all the time. Right. But again, it, 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 it just speaks to the sort of, um, as you said, just the, um, forget forgetting that there's a human being at the other end of that application. Right. I mean, this is really a, a statement on sort of the nature of our politics and our culture in general, right? We, we so demonize the other now. We're so demonized people that don't agree with everything we agree with that there's no more dialogue or communication. I mean, and, and, and the reality is you can't really have dialogue with these, these Trump supporters. They, they believe in a different set of reality, a different set of facts. So there's nothing helpful or useful that comes from dialogue. We're past, I think we're post-dialogue. We're a post-dialogue society in a dangerous and unhealthy way. Yeah. I wish that wasn't the case. I mean, I don't like that at all. I don't like the fact that you can't talk to these people because they simply believe in crazy, whacked-out shit. And I read something today that said we have to stop calling these Republican people who have enabled Trump enablers. We need to call them what they are, which is right wing fringe Republicans. They're not enablers. They are right wing fringe Republicans. They are a danger to the republic. It's infuriating to me, these people who want to overthrow the, the will of the people and just choose a president because they don't like the guy that actually people voted for. What the fuck is that? That's not America. That's not democracy. It's not a republic. That's an authoritarian load of bullshit. Yeah, I I continue to be bewildered by, you know, how many things this president can do uh, and and just continue to get away with with, without any uh, recrimination whatsoever. I, I, the, the, these tapes that this tape that just came out yeah. being the latest, you know, I was listening to uh, Carl Bernstein, you know, it was like, this is, this is a, this is, I mean, there's talk about red handed. I mean, th- 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 it's a tape. It's, I mean, you know, Bernstein said like, this is, this is worse than the Watergate tape. Right. And at any other point, any other point in our history, this would have been caused for immediately the, the Republicans in the Senate would have called for the president's resignation that day. If any other Republican president had ever done this, the Republicans in the Senate would have called for his resignation as the Republicans eventually went to Nixon and said, you have to leave. This is no longer tenable. I mean, and what Trump has done, I would argue, is much worse. I agree with Carl Bernstein. But the point is there are no more. And again, this is an indictment of an entire party, but it's true. It's not they both do it. It's not Republicans and Democrats both do it. That's not true. And the problem is people make these false equivalencies all the time. Republicans are not a governing party. They are not interested in governance. Governance requires compromise. It requires listening and talking to people that disagree with you and finding a middle ground, period. That's what governing is. Republican Party is an anti-government 
anti-democratic party. That's what it's become. And if you listen to a lot of Republicans, they, they, they're the ones who are saying this. Ten former defense secretaries. Every former defense secretary alive from both Republican and Democratic presidents wrote a letter today that came out this week, I think, that, that disagreed with this whole attempted coup of the election. Um, yeah, this, that that this letter basically said, don't, don't even think about using the military, right? That, that's the letter you're talking yeah, about. But, but it also said that this is not acceptable, this, this challenging state elections. The, the Constitution sets out. I mean, somebody said, who was it that said, oh, one of Trump's guys, this Navarro, the trade rep, who's a fucking right wing moron, by the way, he said casually a couple days ago, he said, well, we, we need an investigation. And so we can we can we we're allowed to move back the date of the inauguration. <laughs> yeah, right. You're, he literally said that like it was right true. There, and right. it's it's actually not true. The Constitution specifically states when the president's See changes. It's in the Constitution. You can't change that without a constitutional amendment, which requires ratification by three fourths of the states. That's not doesn't happen overnight. So he's just lying. And these people who listen to them believe it. These right wing fringe Republicans, which is what the main line of the Republican Party has become. I mean, when Dick Cheney signs a letter saying this is wrong, yeah, you, you know that shit is <laughs> fucked up. That's right, exactly. Dick Cheney, the Prince of Darkness, signed this letter right. saying that what they're doing now is anti-American. Yeah, that's some fucked up shit right there, my friend. Yeah, it is. What's your big question? What's your big question this week? Well, it relates to it's the resolution-related question, really. It's the in the coming years, like. You know what would what's the th one thing you would most like to change about how you show up in the world, how you engage in the world? I would like to. I would like to be. I, I would like to show up in a way that is less lazy. I think. I. I. I, I, I am not. I, I am not always. I. 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 I would not apply the term lazy to me, sort of in a totalizing kind of a way as a label. Right. But I think that there are are ways in which I am lazy that, um, okay. So can we frame that in a way that tells me what you want, what you want more of as opposed to what you want less mm -hmm. of? So you want to be less lazy. So what does that mean? You want to be more of, what do you want to add? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I want to add, and I'm thinking carefully about it because I, I think of myself and I think a lot of people think of me as a generous person. And I think that I am not, I think I would, I would like to be more generous with my time. I, I would like to say, by the way, that is not, not a resolution for me. <laughs> I'm not resolving to uh, to be more generous with my time this year. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't ask you if you were resolving. Yeah. Do you have a big question? Well, I was going to ask you, I, I, I mentioned several weeks ago um, that, I, you know, I would want to have attended the Gettysburg Address. This was an, in, in answer to, to, to a question that you had, <clears throat> which was not the question I'm about to ask you, but... Damn it. But it is what made me think of it. I was going to say, what historical event, if you could go, if you could go back and attend a historical event without changing history in any way, you could just go back and be present for it, whether it was a public event or a private event, just something that's historical at this point that you could not realistically have attended either because you were not alive or because you were too young or any other reason. What, what event would that be? And I can only, I'm just observing. I can't 
have lunch or talk to anybody involved you're, you, are, you, are, coffee. you are just observing because right. I, I do have this fantasy about having coffee with Nelson Mandela on the day he gets out of jail and like I would like to hear about his 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 experiences and hope for the future but apart from that but you know in a nice coffee shop in South Africa somewhere but anyway apart from that I think I think as an American a kid growing up who loved history I, I would like to be there for the signing of the Declaration of Independence and all the argument and debate and rancor that went on in that room in Philadelphia. Mm. Well, these these were these were revolutionary men for the time, uh, doing something that they had no idea if it was going to bring them all death or a new country. Literally, it could have gone either way. So there was incredible courage and bravery and fear and anxiety and I mean, it's just a range of uh, human emotion in that room that I just would be very curious to see what it was like. I would like to, uh, to hear those men talk about the, the fear of what might happen, the different points of view, the ideas they had for the future, what they were risking. Because we forget now, I mean, you know, hundreds of years later, the risk was tremendous. I mean, like I said before, they literally all could have ended up dead. They, they had no assurance that, that what they did that day was going to lead to the start of a new nation. They had a hope and an idea. So that's a that's a whole other kettle of fish, my friend. I just think that would be fascinating. And just to, you know, see the John Hancock put his signature down there would be amusing. <laughs> yeah, that would be amusing. But I would like to like I would I would love to have heard what Nelson Mandela was thinking the day he got out of prison. Because that guy spending decades in prison and then peacefully leading a nation through transition from apartheid to democracy. I think is one of the greatest achievements in the history of the world. And I just would have loved, I would love to have sat in a coffee shop with him and hear his thoughts and how, how he was planning to go about doing that and how he came out of, I think it was 27 years in prison without simply wanting to kill everybody. But yeah. Toward peace in a peaceful way. I yeah. find fucking astounding. I have a feeling he was a nicer guy than Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> who knows really it's hard it's hard to know it's just a gut feeling i have i will say this i there's yeah. a lot of footage of him laughing of him having fun nelson and, mandela yeah yeah i don't remember a lot of footage of gandhi you know taking off his slippers and putting his feet up i just don't remember a lot of that. i mean it might have it might be less footage from that era but i don't know you might be right who knows i don't know i just i got i just got a it's just a feeling i have yeah. yeah, Mandela. Such a good name, too. Great name. Well, you don't think Gandhi was a good name? It doesn't flow. I mean, melodically, Gandhi. Mandela. Gandhi. Mandela. Gandhi. I can say the same. I can do it with the same inflection that you're doing it. I think it's the two syllable versus the three syllable thing is what really would to play here. Three syllables has a has a lyrical flow to it, whereas two syllables feels like a brick wall. Gandhi sounds you. powerful. It stops. Gandhi. Mm, you want to go you want one more you want to go one more <laughs> this feels like this feels like an argument from uh, like radio days like the atlantic ocean was a better ocean no the pacific <laughs> is a better what are you crazy <laughs> gandhi mandela the name is richer no gandhi is a better name it's strong it's it's complete but mandela flows like gandhi didn't need a third syllable Yes, yes. He, he was so complete. He didn't need that. Mandela, he That's needed it. That's how strong it. he was. That's, yeah.
Gandhi's name. Gandhi was so secure. His name was three syllables. His name was Gand was Gondola. He was actually Jewish. That's right. He said, "Fuck it, I'm so strong. Take that last one. Give it to my gondola. people." It's a gondola. It sounds. It's a diminutive. I don't like it. I'm already. I I want just Gandhi. That's a name. I think they they created a boat and they sent it to Venice, and then that's how it, the gondola <laughs> became a thing. That's where that happened. <laughs> ah. ah! Mazel tov. A blessing on your head. To top off this conversation, um, do you like In-N-Out? Like, do you think In-N-Out is one of the great hamburgers? I do not, as a matter of fact. I don't, I don't get it. Either. I don't get it with In-N-Out. Their, their fries, by the way, are terrible. the worst the fries. Worst. The oh worst. Oh, my God. Fries. Just having this conversation, this woman I met yesterday who's from Ohio was telling me that she came, you know, Anthony Bourdain, apparently, every time he came to Los Angeles, would go to the In-N-Out right by the airport, you know, that one on Sepulveda, to get like his fix. And so it became like a, you know, a huge deal. And I, I told the, and this woman said she tried it. She comes from Ohio. She said she thought it was terrible too. And she also thought the fries were shit. They're terrible. I, I don't get it. I just I don't, don't either. It. It's a thing. I mean, have you had Shake Shack? Have you had Shake Shack? Yeah. I think, I think for that kind of burger, that is a much better burger. Me too. And their buns are better and their fries are better, by the way. Everything yeah. about it is better. Um, the best, the best fast food burger I mean, it's not because Shake Shack. Let's face it. I mean, Shake Shack is basically a fast food burger. It's a fried, yeah, it's like, an upscale fast fried. Food yes, burger. exactly. But so my favorite though, fast food burger. I mean, it's not in the in the Carl's Jr. McDonald's Wendy's, but it's Five Guys. Do you know Five Guys? I've, I've heard of Five Guys. Five Guys, which I had I had in New York when Marianne visited Marianne in college, and I've had it in all different many states. Actually, they're in Rhode Island, they're in California, uh, they're here, they're in Oregon, Washington, they're all over the place. Um, they're terrific. They they grill them. Their 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 burgers are fucking great, and their fries are great. They have these Cajun sauce they put on the Cajun seasoning. Yeah, well, you love sauce. You love dipping sauce. I'm a huge fan of dipping sauce. You know, I'm a huge fan of uh of a of a bacon cheeseburger too. Well, that's just perfection on a bun. Why, why, a well-griddled yeah. bacon cheeseburger. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's all I got. You have anything else? No, I, 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 don't, I don't have anything else. Resolutions. Another fucking... Let's just say that 2021 could be a better year than 2020, but I'm not feeling all that hopeful after the first period of time because the vaccine rollout has been a disaster. They're not talking about cutting the vaccines in half. The attitude of the people in this country is fucked. A lot of people don't want the vaccine. Other people are jumping the line. And I just think we're still in for another year of pain and and, and shit. Uh, all the signs point to pain and shit. We'll see. But um, hopefully. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm hopeful, um, but I wouldn't say that I'm not hopeful. So you're um, nothing. You're not hopeful and you're not not hopeful. I'm not not hopeful. I'm not hopeful, but I'm not not hopeful. Are you yeah. not 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 hopeful? No. I, I actually don't know what I am. I'm um I had a patty melt with bacon for lunch today. Patty melt. A patty melt is the most undervalued presentation of burger. Well, that, that's in the what modern makes it the world. patty melt, because it's square. No, the patty melt is uh is a grilled rye bread with oh, onions. Oh, it's and rye. The that's what makes it on rye. Oh. Yeah. It is there's uh, when you when you put the little butter and you griddle rye bread, yeah. you grill rye bread on a griddle, and then you put a burger cheese and some grilled onions in there with a little Thousand Island, which I love for some reason. Um, that Thousand is some Thousand Island is a great topping. 
What else can you say after that? That's Locks in the Bagel for this week. Have a good week. We'll see you next time at Locks in the Bagel. For Joshua Beckett, I'm Kenny Benjamin. Take care. <laughs>